morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. It is Friday, July 1st on a holiday weekend. My name is Jeff Goldberg. I'm a sales coach and trainer, and I work with both individuals and organizations to help them get measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network as a place to elevate the profession of sales. It's a place where you can come and network, learn, ask questions. And as you probably know, every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, I either do a live training or I bring you an interesting guest who can add value to the profession of sales. And I've done it again, my friends. Once again, we've got somebody terrific to help you today. It's my pleasure to introduce you to Tom Daly. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm absolutely outstanding. I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, Tom, you are a fractional vice president of sales. Um, could you explain to everybody what is a fractional vice president of sales? And if you also could, uh, I do fractional sales management. What's the difference between a fractional sales manager and a fractional VP of sales? It's, it's, it's very similar, to be honest with you. So we're, we are fractional sales leaders as well. Uh, we do two things. Uh, usually, uh, a lot of our clients, they, they are doing okay, but they don't necessarily have the full-blown sales structure in place, utilization of CRM, um, a really defined, unique selling position, uh, understanding their buyer's journey, sales process. So we put a lot of those pieces in place. Sometimes that's building their team. So it's interviewing, recruiting, a lot of that to really set that foundation. And then longer term, it's kind of like what you do. A lot of times the client may not have a sales leader in place or they're not ready for it quite yet. So they really don't need the full boat, but they do need that professional help on a, on a more fractional basis. So a few hours a week or so on. So uh, what I say is they're like, well, what do you offer? I'll say, well, that's hard to define. It's really what does the client need? And then we figure out if the chemistry's there and then that's how the engagements are, you know, they're done. And much like you, uh, we end up loving what we do and, and we, we do produce outstanding results. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, in my personal uh, experience, every single time I've taken on an engagement like this, it's where the salespeople are reporting directly to the owner of the company who A, doesn't have the time to do it and B, really doesn't know how to manage salespeople. So one of the things folks like you do is you give the CEO back their time, <coughs> excuse me, so they can focus on what they need to focus on while you take care of the sales department. Yeah, you know, you and I talked about this at length and that happens a lot. So a lot of CEOs are, are just, that traditional entrepreneur, they they created the thing, they built it, it's really gotten legs, it's gone really, really well. But then as they started to get larger, comes with it a lot of other baggage, a lot of complexity. And so that scalability suddenly gets really kind of reduced. And now the CEO's doing a lot of things that either they don't enjoy, or maybe they're not exactly perfectly great at. So what we try to do is understand where they wanna go actually maybe rip the Band-Aid off and try to get them back in their visionary and their, their core value lane, and then let us do the blocking and tackling. And what ends up happening is it gives the organization that scalability so they can grow to the next level. So it's uh, easier said than done, and we all go through transitions and change, uh, but that's a lot of the conversations we have because you have brilliant people that now are at a different stage. They have to do things a little bit differently. Yeah, I'm not going to name the company, but I be, I was hired one time, not as an outsource, but as an actual sales leader. And the CEO of the company, maybe one of the most brilliant people I ever met, man, woman, or, or anything in between, brilliant, mm -hmm. could not get anything done, though. And that's why he had people like me, because he had the overall vision and me and other uh, you know executives like me were able to take his vision and get it done. And that's where, what a CEO should be doing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. 
By the way, if you're watching us live, please say hello in the comments. If you're watching us on Facebook and have not connected your Facebook account to StreamYard, it's just going to say Facebook users. So please put your name in there. And if you're watching us on the replay, please put replay in the comments. And good morning to you, Frank Hebler. I hope things are cool down in Texas. So, um, Tom, uh, I, I was going to save this question for the very last because I think it's crucial, but I don't want to run out of time. And I often uh, get, get involved in great conversations with people just mm -hmm. like you. So we are halfway through the year. We're end of Q2. We're actually in Q3 now. We're six months into the year. And my experience has been that salespeople often wait till around mid-November and then go, oh, my God, I'm not going to hit my quota. Jeff, what do I do? Well, it's too late at that point. So I'm wondering, do you have any advice for salespeople who may not be where they need to be halfway through? What they sh what should they be focusing on now? Yeah, so the, the, the short answer is today's a new day, right? So we can't really change the past, but we have a good inkling of what we want to accomplish. So it's a great time to kind of regroup. And uh, as I told you before, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of the, uh, the EOS model from the book Traction. And, and it's one of those things that are like, oh, that, that sounds like a heavy lift. And I was like, well, it can be to implement, but you know what it really, what the beauty of it is, it's so simple, it's brilliant. And what it really subscribes to is a quarterly reset. So you're constantly kind of looking at your quarter as a holistic experience. What are we trying to accomplish? What do we do? What metrics are we watching? How did, you know, are we on track? And then usually that includes maybe pivoting a little bit to change our quarterly outlook for the next quarter. Um, I find that very healthy and great for salespeople because, you know, if you had a, if you had a crummy quarter, right, um, there's some reasons for it. So you need to be kind of vulnerable and understand what did I miss? What did I just didn't actually try to do better, learn from that and then move forward and then look at your quarter as a new opportunity. And as you know, right now, boy, the economy's kind of in a weird place, right? We're doing well, but we're not sure what the future is. But whatever the economic conditions and throughout my career, showing my age, top sales producers always, always succeed. And it's usually not a matter of they're just doing the same thing over and over again. They have the ability to kind of reflect on what went well and repeat and things that aren't doing well and look for that as an opportunity for development. And then find what's changing in your client's world. What are their hopes, their, their dreams, their concerns, their worries, and how can I help them through that? Because that's how I become a great salesperson. So if you haven't had the greatest year so far, write it off, brush it off, have another cup of coffee and decide what you're going to do differently to achieve what you really love. And, and that's critical. We have to do that every, every day of my life and every quarter of my life. I do that and I recommend it to others. Yeah. Words of wisdom, my friend. Uh, one of the things I love about sales and that I tell salespeople all the time is that one of the beauties is you could be in the depths of depression and broke and near near kicked out of your home and your car's about to be repossessed today and tomorrow everything can turn around but mm -hmm. it does take that reflection that you're talking about and if you want to keep doing the same things and expect a different result we all know the definition of insanity so it just doesn't work and i think that's the time really when it's most important to go to your vp of sales your sales manager your coach or just somebody else you know it doesn't have to be a guy like me who people pay to coach them you know if you mm -hmm. go to somebody else they Here's what's going on. Can you take a look? Because I find, and please tell me if you have the same experience, it's kind of like relationships. You can solve everybody else's relationship, but never your own. So it sometimes takes somebody from outside to look at what's going on to go, well, did you think of trying this? Or did you think of trying that? What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, you, you just said something really powerful, and that is so true. And it's interesting in our lives, we have a perception of ourselves that is evident to us and it's evident to others. And that's okay. We kind of see how that is. That's great. But there's so much in our lives where we don't really see how others see us. There's that blind spot. And so we need coaches. We need mentors. Um, I have multiples. And I realize that there are blind spots in my personality. I tend to be like you. I'm high energy. And so if I'm not careful, I can blow right past people. And getting that feedback of saying, you know, have you considered this? Or you might want to try this is just so, so valuable. And it, and having that constant curiosity, that's what I love about good salespeople. They're just infinitely curious. They love to figure out what's going on, what could work better, and how can I help the client? That's where the joy is, right? And and how many roles, how many professions can really say that and just say, I don't know what next month's going to look like, but I know it's going to be awesome because of what I do. And I bring a lot of joy to it. And most importantly, I hopefully I bring joy to my clients. And that's, that is darn satisfying. And I'm not how I'm not sure how many professions can really say that. Yep, you're absolutely right. I think there's another thing that's important right now, and I, I gave this advice. I actually made a post that some people took exception to the other day, and I it, I think they thought I was trying to be funny, which I was not. Uh, mm -hmm. I stand up comedy, and if I'm trying to be funny, hopefully you know it. But uh, the, the post was really about there's a lot of distractions going on right now. There's a ton, a million of them. I happen to be posting about the Supreme Court decision. I simply said, I don't care which side to come down on. You still got to sell. So mm -hmm. it, it, I think one of the things that's crucial right now is, of course, there are things we need to be concerned about and that we can be passionate about. But at the end of the day, you still got to get out there and make it happen because mm -hmm. the bank's going to take away your car or your house or something else if you don't. So be passionate about whatever you're passionate about. But don't forget, you got to make the call, send the emails, be in touch and serve your customers every single day. Otherwise, bad things do happen. And good morning, somebody mm -hmm. from Lexington. Uh, we don't know who you are, but good, good to see you here. Somebody says, hi, good to see you. Good morning, Don Levine, and one of my favorite salespeople, Ben Gibbs, good to see you joining us. So, um, Tom, what are some of the reasons that salespeople struggle to achieve their sales potential? Is it, is it their company, is it, or does it always boil down to their individual efforts? You know, you know it, it can vary a whole lot, right? Um, it, you might be in a situation where it might be a poor fit. Um, you know, that, that can happen. Uh, there might be a lack of solid core values in the organization you're in. I mean, it could be there. A uh, company could be in crisis. It happens all the time. Uh, things are not Pollyanna. Uh, every company goes through different phases, et cetera. The, the nice thing about a salesperson is so long as you are committed to the product, the service, the journey of your buyer, you can kind of sidestep a lot of the crisis that's going on in an organization. If you understand your own true north and you're doing right by the clients, a lot of times I say it facetiously, but boy, is it true. Sometimes salespeople are the final firewall of, of protecting them from our company. And that sounds horrible, but that's, but it's not, it's massaging that uh, set of expectations while you're massaging what your own company needs to accomplish and yet still delivering super value to the clients. So a lot of, uh, to your question, if I allow myself to get mired into things that I can either not control or things that are just going to put me in a, in a poor frame of mind, I have to avoid that because it's not really productive. It doesn't help me and it certainly doesn't help the client. So I have to kind of prioritize, you know, what, what I'm doing. Um, I also say that you have to back to that curiosity thing. You have to be 
ready to learn every day. And each day we learn new stuff, right? But you have to have that common currency. You have to learn new tricks. You have to learn how to do things differently. Learn how to research. Boy, with the internet and Google and all the other tools we have, a lot of companies have access to things like Zoom Info. We can learn so much out there ahead of time. And that's kind of important because we can learn trends about our clients' industry, their own business. And it allows us to not only kind of make some assumptions of what they're working with, but also we can challenge their thinking. And a salesperson, a lot of people are like, oh, but we want to really agree with our client. Maybe not. Maybe not always, right? Because sometimes they'll say, hey, this is the way we're doing it. All I need is a price. Just do this. And we'll say, interesting, because where I'm seeing a trend is people are struggling in this particular avenue in your industry. I've seen it quite a lot. And it seems to be causing them agita in this category. Can you relate to it? So I'm really kind of pushing back on, I know you just want a price and you want me to compare myself to the other competitors you've talked to. But what I'm more interested in is what you're trying to accomplish. And if you have kind of a, a, a bias, I want to challenge you on that so I can understand more fully. And maybe I can offer you a different set of tricks. So if you feel yourself struggling, maybe you're in rote, just sort of um, routine. Get creative, ask questions, learn understand, and then try to help. And then the other thing that I say, people struggle, if you don't automate what you're doing right now, it's really tough. So make sure you lean on your technology tools, whether it's like what we're online right now, we're in different parts of the geography, know your CRM, use it to its fullest extent, because it'll make you a better professional for sure. And um, the last thing I say when you're struggling, remember you're not selling a thing or a service, you aren't. And I always say, nobody ever bought a washing machine. They bought the ability to have convenient, clean clothes without fail, reliably, right? And that's, a, that's kind of a silly analogy, but it's so true. I am selling capability. I am selling a different state. I am selling satisfaction. I'm selling joy. And so I don't want to get too stuck in the speeds and feeds of what I do. I want to really focus on the benefits. And you'll find that you'll stop struggling if you, if you do that consistently. Yeah, I worked with a company that uh, manufactures cutting tools, and they used to say, we're not selling you drill bits, we're selling you holes. Yeah, it's <laughs> so true, right? Absolutely right, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I think salespeople need to remember that they're really, it's almost they're in business for themselves. Yes, you might you work for a company, but you're really running the, the Tom business or the Jeff business, and you got to do what it takes to do that. Um, you, you mentioned something about it could be a poor fit. How does a salesperson recognize when they've accepted a new position? How do they know when it, it's a poor fit and it is time to go? Because sometimes it just is a bad fit. And the best thing they can do is say, you know what? This didn't work out. Time to go. How do you know that? And how long should it take? Yeah, I mean, that's a real examination. It's almost a personal examination because, you know, there's lots of great companies out there. There's lots of companies that are struggling. There, there's a whole mix. There's no perfect world. But kind of for me, and I guess uh, age brings with it some uh, some real benefits, right? And understand your true north. Understand what's important to you. Know your core values. What's important to you, what you will and won't do. And if you find yourself in a situation or an organization or in a group where you are feeling compromised, absolutely say no. Don't do it because you'll, you'll you'll have to answer to yourself. And at the end of the day, that's all you've got. So if you uh, say, I love the work I do with people I love, I'm having an impact and I'm compensated really well and I have time for the things that are important to me and I'm with an organization that shares that, I'm probably okay because it's never going to be perfect, right? But if I find that I can't accomplish those things or I'm compromising what's important and what's right, 
in my true north, I would say look for another home because if you're talented, you're going to find one. No problem. Don't worry about it. Yeah. One of the great things about sales is if you're good at it, you can always find another job. One of the things about me, and I don't say this to be cocky, but I've never been concerned about being fired when I was employed. It was like, fire me. I'll go find three jobs tomorrow. Uh, yeah. you know, and you, you need that independent attitude to be successful in sales. And I, I got to go back a second because you said something which I think was so important. It's okay to challenge your prospects. In fact, there's a great book on that, which I'm sure you've read, The Challenger Sailed. I think it's yeah. a difficult, you never read it? No, it's an excellent book. It's a great book. Excellent book. Difficult to implement and not everybody can do it. But if you can, that, that's who they respect the most. You know, you don't have to be a yes person all the time. Your prospect is looking for you to be an expert at what you do. And they're looking for your advice. They're not looking to be sold. They're looking for a trusted advisor. And that's who you want to become. And sometimes a trusted advisor, like a fractional VP of sales or a sales coach, says, no, that's not what you should be doing. You should be doing this or take a look at it a different way in, in whatever words you're going to use. Uh, you, also, you also mentioned something else that uh, I agree with you as critically. You mentioned the word CRM. I'm sure every salesperson listening to this knows what that is. How critical do you think CRM is to a salesperson's success? And is there a particular one that you like these days? Yeah, so CRM is gigantic. And it's one of those things that um, adoption is always part of the challenge because we're having to change you know, our little blankie the way we've always done things. But, but frankly, with the amount of data that's coming at us and the amount of data we have to manage, the number of tasks, the number of prospects, um, leads, uh, if you have ongoing clients continuing to, to, to build and, and, and really nurture that relationship, in order to do that, it is just pretty impossible with a pen and paper. And you, you, you need a database, and that's what a CRM really is. It's just a relational database. So it allows you to have access to the stuff that you need in real time. It also gives you the ability to automate your outreach, which is a big deal. Um, back at, again, showing my age, there was a day when I literally knocked on doors, one after another. And that's what we did. We just did. And, and it worked. I mean, it had a certain level of inefficiency, but there was no better way. Today, using your digital tools, whether it's email, social media, outreach, blogs, um, all of those things, even telephony can be incorporated in it. Being able to manage all of that data will give you that um, advantage. And then usually there's a sales job on my part when I'm a sales leader and let's say that they're implementing CRM or switching over. There's always that fight. I don't want to change, right? Change is great unless it affects me. And so we have to go through that. So we get to the point of, okay, let's talk about your business. Like you said, as your business, how can we make you more efficient to earn more and serve your clients better and do less administrative work? Because all you salespeople, I love you, but I know that administration is not the highlight of your day. So we want to create systems that enable you to do it quickly, easily on your device of choice so that you have real access to it. Most importantly, you're working for a team, typically, unless you're, you know, if you're a lone wolf, awesome, good for you. But if you're with a team, you're also depending on that coaching. And so there has to be a pipeline and a dashboard. When you ask the question, how's my business going? You should be able to say, oh, fair to Midland, because I have this many prospects out there. This is the dollar value of my pipeline. This is how many contacts I've made. This is what's happening. I should be able to know that right away. If it's a matter of fair to Midland and boy, I'm going to get it by the end of the month based on what? And so your CRM allows you to thoughtfully and scientifically be able to manage all of that data and be able to know how to pivot and do things differently. Um, it's, it's key 
You have to do it. You have to practice like anything else, but get used to it. The other thing is too, that it usually has built in um, automations so that you can set up when you want to get contacts, when you want to do replies, how you want to, you can even put in templates to automatically send emails to clients that say, do an inquiry on your website. All of that stuff, you don't have to be a, a, a computer scientist to know it. CRM is now giving you the tools to use it like normal guys like me. So I can use it and, and look like I'm really, really, really talented. And that's the key. So, yeah. And as far as ones I like, I, 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 I'm agnostic. They're all pretty good these days. They've gotten like POS. They're inexpensive. They're usually per, per seed per month licenses. I generally advise people to use the ones that have been out there and have been doing it for a while. So your pipe drives, really, really simple product to use and super powerful. Um, also like um, HubSpot and Zoho. I just like them because they've been around for a long time and they have a lot of um, uh, knowledgeware that you can kind of get up to speed. But also if you're just trying to do a quick thing, there's like a ton of YouTubes and Googles out there because they've been around for so long and just say, how do I do this type of automation? I'm going to figure it out because some 19 year old in England figured it out and he did a two minute video and I'm good. So those are usually it, but there's, there's no bad CRM I've ever seen. Um, it's just a matter of using it to your best, uh, to your best advantage. Yeah. I find some are a little too complicated and if it's too complicated, salespeople aren't going to use it. But my experience has been in any organization I've worked with, the top performers are always power users of their CRM. And uh, like you, I, I, uh, I personally use PipeDrive, although I'm thinking of switching because I, uh, I'm helping a company. We're, we're about 90% through switching them from one to HubSpot, which you mentioned. The sales automation there, the automation tools for marketing are phenomenally easy to use and so powerful. I worked with another company where we implemented Zoho One, another great one, which years ago was awful. They made <laughs> it was horrible when it first came out. It is fantastic now. And like you said, it does not have to cost a lot of money. It really doesn't. It makes you more effective and more efficient. It does. And so those are all great. And like you said, there are some uh, like Salesforce is well known. It was it was really the gold standard, really big. So for small companies or individuals out of the box, it's not really that usable. It really needs to be um, uh, adjusted. It has to be. And so it's kind of a lot for larger companies. It can be a godsend because they have the budget to customize it the way they need to. But I even say to salespeople, if your company doesn't have a CRM and there are some out there, believe it or not, Amazing. Go ahead and get your own license. Um, HubSpot, PipeDrive, they all have a freebie. Of course, they don't give you all the cool stuff, but once you get hooked, that's the idea, that's their sales pitch, uh, then you'll want to do it. But it's worth every penny. I mean, if it costs you even 50 bucks a month and, and it allows you to close one sale, I mean, come on. So um, do it for yourself. Even if your company doesn't offer it, um, do it for yourself. It'll be a godsend and, and, and you'll be happy you did. Absolutely, positively. And you said something else which rings true. Uh, you know, I, I often train sales managers to do their jobs better. And uh, I, I often have the conversation, you know, what's your biggest challenge? In fact, I always ask that of salespeople and sales managers. And typically for sales managers, oh, we cannot get compliance with our CRM. And for those of you who don't understand, it means we can't get our people to use the CRM. And my question is always the same. Who do they work for? Why, why did you not explain to them, A, it's part of their job description, and B, why it's going to help them? I mean, I, I just don't understand. And uh, we've got news from Valerie and Barry Heffron. They say, buenos dias, gentlemen. Uh, just want to say, Jeff, this show has been a great help for me, Val, and I have banged out a ton of calls the past few weeks. I got out of my head, and the results are coming in. Yay. I'm so glad to hear that. I can't tell you how often, Tom, that I hear, I don't want to prospect. I don't want to make call. Look, I personally don't care if you never make a cold call again. I still think it's the most cost effective and time efficient way to 
book a ton of appointments if you don't have any, if you do it well and consistently. But there's so many other methods. You don't have to do that. But I'm glad to hear that, Val. What are some of the common blind spots that you see in a salesperson and a sales organization's direct sales approach? You know, again, that's it's a long list, but the things that I see are um, a lot of the uh, let me show you what I have to sell. Right. So I don't really uh, take the time up front, which I which you have to to be successful, not understanding the prospect's perspective. Um, if you don't really understand where they're at in their world, what their concerns are for you to just start pitching, um, it might happen, but it'll be, to your point, a long a long road of frustration because you're not speaking the same language. So a lot of times it's really just not understanding the business side of it. And I've even seen business uh, salespeople that are very good with small talk and they can kind of get the the conversation rolling, but all of a sudden they're not asking um, the right questions and they're not actively listening. So that I usually see that Um, the other thing, and we see this in companies a lot that there aren't defined metrics and goals. It's like, just sell as much as you possibly can. Uh, make a ton of phone calls, you know, just do whatever without specific metrics. And to your point back to CRM, that's what a manager needs to know too. So on that weekly basis, hey, uh, we only had like 60 calls last week. What happened? Oh, well, I was on this many presentations. Okay, Tiger, awesome. That's great. But no, we got to get it back on. So when we're talking about those metrics on a weekly basis that are sitting right there in CRM, we know what that conversation is going to be like. So it's a little bit of a nudge to make sure that we're hitting those things. So I see that. Um, as a salesperson, um, I this is just my practice. Uh, don't do the easy stuff first. Go after the big, most important things that are going to have the greatest impact and work on those. The little easy stuff, you can do that later, maybe with a cat sitting on your lap at night. Do the easy stuff later. Go and attack the stuff that's going to have the greatest impact first. Prioritize your, your activities. Um, you'll be glad you did because there's, there's a side of us that says, well, let me just knock off some check marks. I'm like that too. I'm OCD as you can possibly be. So I'm just like, let me knock off those checkbox. But important, we want to say the checkbox should be the most important stuff at the top that's going to have the greatest impact. So sometimes that happens. Um, and then, you know, the other thing I tell people is the most important thing, no, no, one of the most important things a salesperson can do is know when to get out of a conversation. Um, if there is not an ability for you to help, if your solution just isn't really a good match, learn how to politely and professionally Say, this is great. I really enjoyed the time. I want to stay in touch. We'll put you on our newsletter. I'll check in every quarter, whatever it is. But this probably isn't a perfect match. I really appreciate your time and thank you and get out. And that is a hard thing as a salesperson to say, but but if I stay there and I keep working and I might be able to get something, I'm like, no, don't do that. Because what you want to do is talk with people that really are receptive. So um, learning when to say, time to get out. That's a hard thing to learn, but super important. So I think that's that's it. Um, the last thing that I would say is that I've seen a lot of salespeople that have great intentions and they just poorly prepare. So you didn't do your research. It's so easy today. I mean, again, uh, I hate to sound like an old man saying back in my day, we had no internet. We had no internet. So being able to research companies required going to the library, asking people, et cetera. Right now it's at your fingertips. So do it. And please don't go into a client ever and walk in and just say, what a cool place. What do you all do here? <laughs> like, please don't ever do that. You should be fully prepared. You should understand. And you should have insights ready that will probably surprise the client. So do that. So I would say those are the blind spots that are most common. That's great. Uh, and I don't normally make com- comments uh, while we're talking, but I just did because what you said was so important. 
<laughs> it's not about the pitch. It's just never about the pitch. It's about asking questions and actively listening. If you want to be a better salesperson, get better at those two things and you will blow away your quota. Ask mm-hmm. great questions and listen actively to the answers because your prospect will tell you everything you need to know in order to help them choose to do business with you. It's not about convincing them. It's not about talking them into anything. It's yep. definitely not about the pitch. It's about yeah. having a conversation. So I love that. Uh, it's brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. what, 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 in your opinion, separates the top sales performers from the average performer or an inconsistent performer? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, your journey is to try to be a trusted advisor. I mean, that that's your point. You want to be a part of the team. You want to be their resource. And it's funny when when scientifically they've asked why companies do business with another company. You'll hear many times that the reason they do is because of the salesperson. Yeah, they love the company and they love the solution and they've been, you know, it's all worked for them. But the reason they do is the salesperson. Now that's curious because you know normally we don't deliver the product or the service we're we're the intermediary intermediary, and yet they appreciate our insights because they're unique, they're thoughtful, and they're concerned. So I think that your top sales reps get that, and they almost become a part of the clients. Uh, if it's not their team, it's a part of their group of trusted advisors. So if you do that, um, you're in an interesting place. So it goes back to doing your research. You have to know a lot about the company before you walk in, or at least the the, the really top levels. Um, also, CRM, not being organized, not being able to prioritize, uh, missing opportunities because you let it go too long, uh, those type of things. Great performers are on top of their game. And again, they know how to prioritize that if this stuff isn't important to do this week, it's getting moved. But this stuff has to happen. So that priority, a sense of urgency of the things that make sense, um, that's that's a big deal. Um, as we said, knowing when to bail is really important. And the top sales reps, they'll tell you almost in a New York minute, no pun intended, that this ain't it. And and so they know how to politely do it and professionally do it, but they know I got to get out of here because I got other stuff to do. So that's really super important. Um, the big, big, big one that I always say, and it's missed by most salespeople, but the top performers do it like gangbusters, referrals. And making sure that you're asking referrals, and it's not all the time. One of the one of the tools out there I love is Gong. If you ever go to their website, they've got lots of freebies. I always steal their stuff because it's free, but it's really good. But it's talking about using referrals in your initial call. That seems strange, doesn't it? But you're talking about just say, hey, you know, we're a small company. We're growing like gangbusters. We love having conversations with people like you because they're facing the same challenges. Who else in your network might be having it? So that's on your initial call. And people are like, I wouldn't have thought of that. Well, do it. Top performers do. The other thing is during negotiations, they're like, what? They're like, yeah. So a lot of times the client's like, yeah, we like it here, but it's a little over budget. I don't think we can hit it unless we're like, you know, 10% off of that number. Now, a salesperson, if they've got it in their back pocket, if they are an average, they will say 10% done. Let's just move forward. Okay. But what if you said, hmm. We've priced it right, and I think you can see the value of what we've said, and it's going to return that far more than what the investment is. I think you agree with that, correct? Yes. But I understand that everybody's looking for a better deal. But I'll tell you, that conversation is going to go better with my sales manager. If I can also say that there's a couple other folks that I was able to talk to as a result of this engagement, um, if you can give me one or two folks that I might be able to talk to that could that I could hopefully show them what I'm doing, that would be super helpful if I I'll go ask for a new discount. That's not going to work all the time, 
but interesting, you're asking for a referral. And then certainly at your close, it's a perfect time to do it. And then constantly. And Gong has figured out that sometimes referrals don't happen until the sixth or 12th time you ask. Now understand, everybody knows what you do for a living. So you're not, you're not even putting people in an awkward spot. You're just saying, I just love to talk to other people like you. This is what we do and love it. And we're good at it. We help people ask for those referrals. Your top folks, and you were talking about cold calling. When you get to a certain level, um, a lot of times you're not doing a whole lot of cold, cold prospecting. You're prospecting with people that already know someone else you know, or it's somebody that already has familiarity with you do. Your chance of success is much higher. And your top sales folks do that consistently, and it works for them. Yeah, my favorite thing is people who raise their hand and say, hey, Jeff, I want to talk to you about training my team or coaching my team or something like that. But that that usually doesn't happen enough to sustain a business. So asking for referrals is just the obvious thing. And I'm constantly stunned. Salespeople ask all the time, Jeff, who should I ask and when should I ask? My answer is everyone and all the time. If you sit next to me on a plane, I guarantee you at some point I'm going to turn to you and introduce myself and ask you what you do for a living. Not that I care what you do for a living necessarily, but you're probably going to ask me what I do for a living when you get done explaining it. I'm very good at telling you what I do and finishing that with, who do you know that I should be speaking with? And you'd be shocked. I, I, well, you wouldn't be shocked, huh? but mm-hmm. most people might be shocked at how often somebody says, oh, you know what? I happen to be friends with this person or that person or this. Is a, it, it, why would you not ask? What, what's the downside? The upside is you might walk away with a lead that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise, especially if you can have somebody make a proper introduction. So I'm a big fan. And something else you said that I have to go back to because it's so important We don't always focus in sales on the things that are most likely to make us money. Sometimes we're doing the easier stuff and sometimes it takes doing the harder stuff first. I can't turn my camera around, but behind this monitor on the wall where I can see it all the time, I have a sign hung and it says, am I doing the thing at this moment that's most likely to result in income? And I look at it regularly during the day and I actually ask myself that question. You got to be honest with yourself. Look, I'm a very disciplined person, but I'm not perfect. Sometimes the answer is, no, I should be doing something else. Well, good. Go do that other thing because you got to pay the bills and you got to get ahead. We're, we're, look, we're, we're all human. I love Chase, uh, checking out the Sales Pro Network on Facebook, and I like looking at LinkedIn, and that's not always what's going to be the most important thing at that moment. So make sure you're prioritizing. Um, yep. yep. Most salespeople at least if you've been doing it for any length of time, you go through what I call the ups and downs of selling, you know, a good month and a bad month and a good quarter and a bad quarter, God forbid, a good year and a bad year. How can salespeople be more consistent in their success? Yeah, it's a great question. And and um, it's probably going to be uh, by individual, but um, be committed to becoming better, constantly learn, read, take the training, talk to salespeople that are top in their class, maybe in other industries, just ask them, hone your craft. This isn't just a job. This is a profession. This is something where you have to continue to get better because the market conditions change, uh, industries change, there's disruptors galore. You have to be on top of your game in order to be successful. So just keep, always have that, that, that constant curiosity, always develop, always try to be a better version of yourself because you'll only serve your clients better when you are and you'll make more money. So that, I mean, that's certainly important. Um, make sure your personal success plan is, if it's not written down somewhere, at least you understand it, that you know that this is what I'm trying to accomplish. And that might include stuff with your family. You want to travel more, whatever it is. 
need to make this much money, et cetera, then understand your role and say, okay, at a top level, here's the revenue dollars that I want to accomplish. And then my pipeline is going to need to look like this. If it's 1X, 2X, 3X, whatever it is for your industry, know what that is and then what those activities are. And just like CRM, your scorecard, you're going to hit those things more times than you're not. You know, if you do the right things, that you will probably be successful. And you'll say, oh, well, you know, I just lost that deal. The guy was a jerk or, you know, whatever. If you're honest with yourself, you will know that, well, you know, I could have done that better. Or I should have said that. Or maybe this would be presented better. Or maybe they missed what I was trying to say. Just be that way and just know that you've got to be different tomorrow than you are today. It's just how you get better. Um, the other thing I always say are, are two things. Maintain that life-work balance, right? So when I hear salespeople who just say, yeah, I'm killing it out there and I'm working 70 hours a week as if it's a badge of, of honor, I'm like, you're working 70 hours? Are you okay with that? Um, what about, is your family okay with that? So understand that you got to keep the balance because you're, you're working to live, not the other way around. So make sure that's why you really want to be impactful. So use those things to make sure that, you know, if your ups and downs are like this and our business does kind of have some amplitude to it, but we want to make sure that we're on the high side. And if we get to the low side, we refer back to those core principles that get us back on track. Um, it'll happen. You're going to, you're going to have lousy months you know, and it just happens, but you want to make sure that those are kind of one-offs that you don't want to repeat those necessarily, but you're going to do things differently to make sure it doesn't happen. So that's, those are, those are kind of my pieces, I think. That's great. And I would just add in one thing that if you have not written your sales plan, it's time to do it. Uh, <laughs> as somebody who co-authored a book on setting and achieving goals, I if it's not written, it's not real. You know, make it real. Write it down. Write down your business plan. Write down your goals. Stare at them every day because the law of attraction says that what you consistently focus on tends to be attracted into your life. And Monique says, you are profound, my friend. So you must be doing well. We're more than halfway through this interview with Tom Daly, who is a fractional vice president of sales and clearly a sales expert. Um, Tom, what are you seeing in the companies that you're working with and the salespeople that you're working with that's being most effective in prospecting for new business right now? Uh, as far as techniques and, and what have you, um, yeah, a lot of what's happening that's working really well, a lot of folks say that email is dead. It is not. So you, it is such a tool. Now, what ends up happening when I hear those comments, it's usually I sent an email, I sent a second email, I sent a, a third email, and I never got a response. So therefore, it doesn't work. We'll say, well, but understand, email is just such a big monster of data out there. So it has to be targeted. And again, I, mean, I don't mean to beat a dead horse with CRM, but being able to automate your email campaigns that again are specifically talking to a benefit, not the speeds and feeds of how cool your product is, because I'm sure it's cool, but that's not necessarily our outreach. It's talking about, hey, are you experiencing this? Have you considered this? A trend we're seeing in your industry is this. And then being able to use those emails on a consistent drip campaign and analyzing what those returns are it costs nothing or virtually nothing to do that. And if you keep that rolling, even if your hit rate was 1%, oh my gosh, that's fantastic, right? And you're going to find it. The other thing about email, remember folks, that emails can be kept, they can be forwarded, 
and they may even trigger a response. So there's a lot people can do with the email and you know, it's timing is everything. Cause if you're like me, I have like five different email addresses. My clients give them to me, et cetera. So I'm just looking for the ones I can delete, right? You got them too. So I'm like, I'm like cool, delete, 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 spam, spam, spam. Oh, actionable. And then immediately what I do with that is I say, ooh, priority. So I put that in my reminders or for my today or for tomorrow to make sure that those things are there because responding to an email and doing it in a professional way that stays to the point, and please don't write war and peace because nobody reads it, but things that are impactful, short, sometimes one sentence can do the job, use email. In the same vein, use your other target. People are like, oh, nobody answers their phone anymore. I'm like, wrong, they do. But you can use things that are very interesting. Use your telephony to call at different times. Make sure it's messaging. Leave impactful voicemails, just like you would with an email, not just like, hey, call me back. I, the worst voicemails I love. I'm like, hey, Tom, call me back. Okay, well, you had my voicemail recording. You could have given me some amount of data, right? Do that. Tell them why, et cetera, and just keep doing that. The other thing is, too, with your metrics, you can figure out what dials and what don't. And then the other one that I've learned from people recently is texting. SMS works really well because people may not pick up their phone if they see an unfamiliar phone number, but they'll sure as heck look at a text, right? So impactful, et cetera. The other thing that's awesome is your phone. Smartphones are fabulous. They can do video. So you can send a video SMS, just checking in. Hey, Jeff, I noticed it was your birthday. Have a great one, man. It's awesome. And by the way, I'm going to reach out to you. I'd love to catch up with you next week for a cup of coffee. Not many people do that. It's going to make you seem unique and they're watching your video. So really don't, don't understand. So use those type of tools. Those things work fantastically. And then again, as I said, referral farming, make sure that's a part of your month. That if you if you're not really if you're doing it consistently, great. But then you go back to your existing or your past clients and you make sure you send them out. Hey, it's really great. I really love doing business with you. By the way, it's open season. Q4 is coming and I got to make sure that I keep the pipeline falling. Who else can I talk to in your network? Right. So use those things. Those are the ones, the techniques that seem to get things done uh, short, quick and always to the point. Yeah, and I, I got the question just yesterday, Jeff, should I be using people's cell phones? And my answer was absolutely. You mentioned before Zoom Info, Seamless AI, Sales Navigator. I mean, these tools often can give you somebody's cell phone. And if you can get it, why not? Because you have to communicate with people in the way that they want to be communicated in. And we don't know that until we try. And I personally love the, what you just described. I call a blended approach. You should be trying a little bit of everything and seeing what's getting you the best results. Uh, and interestingly, we had a... Uh, I don't know if you know this gentleman, his name is Jason Bay. He's brilliant uh, in terms of prospecting. His company is Blissful Prospecting. I interviewed him just last week and he had a very interesting take on uh, leaving voicemails because I don't know about you, but almost every salesperson I speak with says, I don't leave voicemails because nobody ever calls back. Well, he actually suggested these days you should be leaving a voicemail saying, I don't expect you to call me back, Tom, but I sent you an email and the subject line is this, please go take a look at it and let me know your thoughts. So you're telling them, you're kind of empowering the person in a way they're already empowered. I know you're not gonna call me back anyway, so you're telling them don't bother, but here's an email you can keep a lookout for. So he said, and everything I read says, it takes somewhere between 12 and 18 touches just to get a prospect to interact with you the first time. So you yeah. do have to stick with it. They do. And, and, and think about yourself too, because honestly, you know, I don't answer my phone if I don't recognize the phone number. Don't like answering the door when somebody knocks on it, et cetera. You know, I'm like, oh, another salesperson, right? Oh, it's spam, et cetera. So I'm, I live there. I get that. However, when somebody breaks through 
and does talk to me and they ask me interesting questions or they are posing something that I hadn't thought of, I, I, I guess because of what I do for a living, I have to comment on it and tell them I was like, you know what? You got my attention and that was brilliant. I really like the technique. So go on. And, and, and I think that's neat, but it doesn't happen all the time. I have to kind of be in the right mood or the right, you know, convenience level. You know, it, it's just, there's no way for me to predict what that timing is, but if you stay after me, chances are eventually, and I love this too, because sometimes I'm, I, I finally, I, on the seventh email, I'm like, Hey man, I, I actually think it's interesting, but I am absolutely torched for the next quarter. Can we, can we talk then? Well, now we've engaged. And so they'll say, absolutely, brother, be happy to do it. And I'm going to reach out to you maybe, um, you know, August 31st. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Chances are I'm going to take that meeting. So you you do have to be consistent. And as you know, what, 74, 76% of people, uh, salespeople never follow up. And, and here's a little story. I worked with a client. So of course I'm shopping their competitor. And so it's for a big ticket item. So they were in the solar business, right? So they came out to my house. They actually did a pretty professional survey and they had the, the proposal on an email or on, I'm sorry, on a laptop. And I said, okay, this looks great. And they're like, well, I have to send it to you. Okay. Sounds good. They sent it to me nine days later. I was like, really? Okay. And then honestly, never ever, ever, ever followed up. And I just said, that's probably an extreme example, but I can, I can see where a lot of folks just say, I put in the work, I did my job, I sent them the proposal, they didn't respond, they're not interested. Don't ever, ever be that lazy. And it's easy to be. I mean, we're, we're all busy, I get it. But that's what happens. The flip side, if you're a top producer and you would never let that happen and you're the one that's calling them back and you are consistently there professionally, then you will get more deals. It's, it's a really simple logic. I would suggest that never send a proposal without an appointment. <laughs> proposal. And I'm a big fan of if somebody won't give you an appointment, send them the proposal without the pricing. They're going to reach out to you and say, hey, I think you left off the pricing page, but now you've re-engaged. Uh, you know, you, I'm not in the proposal business and I've met a lot of salespeople that their job is, I got to send out a lot of proposals. No, no, no. You've got to have a lot of great conversations so that some of them choose to become your customer. It's not about sending out proposals. Uh, so many times, and I'm sure you get this all the time too, Tom, Jeff, I sent out the proposal. Now that they won't return my calls, they won't return my emails. Yeah. <laughs> you gave them everything they needed. Yeah. Why should they engage with you anymore? It's, it's silly. It is. And, and you know, to that point, and this has become really, uh, I do it, you probably do it too. And it's becoming more commonplace, even in technical sales. Proposals are sort of passe. There's just a lot of information you've already told them. It, there's just a lot of information that probably is irrelevant. So why the proposal use the contract? And people are like, really? I'm like, yes, in my business, I'm actually selling a fairly sophisticated engagement maybe not so maybe i'm giving myself more credit but but i think it is there's a lot of moving parts to it i don't do proposals i listen to what the client needs and so i put those in in the sow so the statement of work of the things that we're going to accomplish we're going to start on this date and this is how much it's going to cost per month and my signature's on it and there's just a blank for them that's all we really need and and that works in my business maybe it works for you too but i think it works for a ton of businesses too don't overcomplicate it um you know when you start to see documents it feels like a house closing shouldn't have to be that hard
people to do business with you instead of making it more difficult. I have numerous clients that don't work with proposals at all. They do exactly what you do. They send out the contract, letter of agreement, whatever statement of work, whatever you want to call it, but make it easy for them to say, yes, let's, let's, let's put our John Hancock in here and let's get going. Yep. Um, what can a salesperson do, assuming they're not an entrepreneur like, like I am, what can a salesperson who, do, who works in an organization do if their manager isn't good at their job? And I think you and I both know a lot of sales managers, and this is a technical term, suck at their jobs. They're salespeople who got promoted but never learned the art of managing salespeople. So what can an individual producer do if their sales manager is not good? Yeah, so it is egregious, and we see it a lot in organizations a lot of times, and then we've seen many a sale, great sales career get destroyed because the top salesperson was put into the sales leader role, um, usually without a whole lot of training. Just do what you do and teach everybody else to do it, right? And that is so far from the skill set that's required, and so there's not the preparation, and sometimes they die. The other part is that it may not be a good fit. Sometimes people are Awesome producers. They are just client magicians. They are great at what they do. They really don't have any business trying to manage other people's activities. It's not what they do well. So if you find yourself in that scenario, right, what, what are your options? Well, um, you do run your own business. So if you are doing the right things and you can be self-coached, if you have that level of maturity, then you're going to probably have to do it. The other part is managing the manager. So you'll need to understand what are the things that you need, whether there are um, knowledge gaps, skills gaps, things that you're going to say, look, I need some help with this. How can you help me do this? You're giving them what they kind of need from their manager, but you're giving it to them saying, look, I need you to help me with those, right? Or I have this barrier, whether it's internal or it's a price problem, et cetera. I have this scenario. If we have two minutes can we kind of game it out in a sort of role play scenario so we can maybe I can get more comfortable with the language. If you manage the manager and are very clear about what you need and then maybe be clear about what you don't need, then you can start to build a relationship. And if that person never becomes effective, oh, well, that's kind of on them. But if you're getting what you need because you've managed that relationship, just like you manage your client relationships, you still can possibly get what you need. Maybe you're helping them out too. So maybe they owe you some money, but it also means that you can just keep doing your job regardless of what goes on. Cause what happens the same thing, you know, if you've got a, the greatest sales manager in the world and then they move on and then the company hires somebody different, you have to figure out how to navigate that anyway. That's life. That's the way it is. You can't let it affect your success rate or failure. So manage it, use your skills to make sure you're managing the manager. It's pretty important. You may have seen me laughing. That was a laughter of recognition because I use the phrase manager, manager constantly. Uh, I, I managed the company at one point as an employee manager. Uh, I built their team from three up to 45 people over four years. And my day was often spent with a line out my door, people who needed my attention. And I always say, you know, who do you think I was taking care of? And they'll say, I don't know. Well, it's the person who's in front of me, the person who came to me and said, here's what I need. Because if you wait for your manager to come around and, you know, go, hey, what can I do for you? Well, that's a great attitude for a manager to have, except you got to get your questions answered now. You can't wait. And uh, just like uh, just like we talked about initially, you know, we're halfway through the year. It's not too late to make a change. You don't want to wait until you're in deep trouble when, you know, you, you, they're about to put you on a pip or maybe you're on one already. You're struggling financially. That's the worst time to go. You want to do it before that happens. Just like prospecting. The worst time to prospect is when you desperately need appointments. I, I, <laughs> I, I once uh, did a, a cold calling training in the middle of 
all day long, you know, arms crossed, clearly not buying into anything I'm saying. And at one point he raises his hand and has a puss on it. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be trouble. Steve, what can I do for you? He goes, Jeff, I work with three companies. See my fingers? Three. He actually held them up and said, see my fingers? Three companies. I spend every day, all day, all year taking care of these three companies because they're my bread and butter. I don't have time to prospect. And my question was this. What happens if through no fault of your own, you did nothing wrong, one of them goes away? The, the person who you're dealing with marries somebody who sells commercial paper. This company happens to sell commercial paper. Yep. You didn't do anything wrong. Now you lost a third of your business. Now you're going to start prospecting because you and I both know, Tom, that except for cold calling, everything else takes time. It's and when you're under that pressure, that's the worst time to be calling people and say, hey, can I come sell you something? Which I hope they're saying in a little bit more elegantly than that. But yeah, you got to get to it before then. Uh, yep. It just doesn't make sense to do anything else. Um, so many sales reps tell me that they hate the weekly sales meeting because it's boring and it's a waste of their time. What makes a great weekly sales meeting? Yeah, so um, stealing from EOS too. So it, it should be weekly without fail. So even if the sales manager is there, then somebody takes the helm. It has to be there. And I generally say a couple of things. It has to have a set agenda and pretty much the same agenda every time. So in the beginning, there's a what's the best thing and worst thing that happened to you last month or last week, whatever. You know, just just kind of breaking that ice so people are talking. But you limit it to about five minutes, just real, real quick. Um, then you immediately go into the scorecard. What, what were the metrics? Where are we at? You know, where are the proposals? What are you guys having trouble with? Who needs help, et cetera? Um, anything, and you do need my help with, do you need someone team, somebody on the team to help you out? Let's get through that. So you're really working through your issues, right? And then I usually always like to put some small nugget of training in there. I can't help it. I'm an old sales trainer, but even, I mean, it's pretty easy these days. You can steal something from TED Talks or whatever. Keep it like five, 10 minutes. There's a zillion of awesome ones out there and then roll it. And then before teachings, just say, what's your reaction? And then how is it applicable? So make it make it like a round robin, that sort of thing. Or if you're if you've got a new product or you have a new objection that seems to be prevalent, then set that up for role play. So usually budget like a good 20, 25 minutes in that just to kind of talk about it. And then I'll ask, hey, guys, was that one worthwhile? Was it as good as last week's? Should I keep it in that frame, et cetera? Just getting that feedback, because even though people are like oh, role plays, they all walk away going, glad we did the role plays because it really helped. So I always love to do that. And then finally, just kind of talk about any obstacles, issues, any things that are going out there, and then what's going to happen next week. Uh, I also use that time to schedule my one-on-ones. One, two, three, if I can get out of there in 45 minutes, awesome. Never longer than 60 minutes. Beyond that, I lost them. Salespeople do not, they, they do not behave well in a room unless I feed them for 60 minutes. So I just kind of go, okay, let's keep it there. It's on that cadence. We don't change the day. We don't do anything. It's just kind of a part of our, you know, just it's our cadence. It's what we do. Um, that's my recommendation. Simple to the point, but without fail, we do it. Yep. And I always like to end on a, with a motivational quote or video or something like that, but cool. I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I usually schedule a, a sales meeting for 60 minutes, but I'm not committed to that at all. If I can get you out in 25, I'm good. My goal as a sales manager, as an outsourced sales manager, is how do I take away as many obstacles as I possibly can, as many excuses, not that salespeople have excuses, yes, they do. Uh, I always say they either have excuses or closed business, but how do I take, remove every obstacle that I possibly can so you can go do their job? And 
I, I don't need you to listen to me for an hour. I, my, my ego is big enough and I'm healthy enough that I don't need you, your attention that long. If I can get you out in 25 or like you said, 45 minutes, let's do that. Uh, sales leaders often feel, well, I got to run the sales meeting. I got to fill up an hour. Get people back to work, but give them useful stuff. If, if you're not providing value, you might as well not have the sales meeting because they're just going to resent it. So I say salespeople should be looking forward to the sales meeting each week. If they're not, you're doing something wrong. And I'm as guilty as anybody else sometimes of that. It is good. And this is a little bit of sales management training that I always teach our sales leaders to do that a lot of times where it gets off track are these tangential individual conversations that go out and then it kind of turns to a bit, a bit of a complaint party. Immediately you just say, Ooh, that's interesting. And that's affecting you. Let's take that offline and we're going to put it on our agenda for your one-on-one -on -one. and uh, great. Glad you brought it up, but we'll talk about it offline. Uh, being able to make sure that it stays team focused and not individual is great because we salespeople love to talk. We've got a story, but now it's going to elongate that meeting and just like we'll have that conversation at a separate time. Yeah, you definitely don't want to let a naysayer hijack your meeting because that will, you know, one, I, I say it's like cancer. You got to cut that out immediately because it'll affect the entire team. Tom, I can't believe it, but we are out of time. Um, I'm going to share my screen. Can you let people know if they're interested in getting in touch with you? How can they do that? Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm probably like Jeff. I'm on the move all the time time and i'm talking from a client site and i love it uh so i have every digital way to get in touch with me so email phone even going to my little website there uh just shows you how to get in touch uh even if you just want a conversation i love chatting with people and new ideas or anything i can do to just kind of help uh those conversations are super fun for me um and you know just getting to know people i love i love connecting so uh if i can be of help to you or somebody you know could i can be helped to you know please don't hesitate it's great. Tom, any final words of wisdom uh, for the rest of the year? You know what? I, I think we have a crazy kind of next two quarters. I think we have a real opportunity to get on board, but I think we're going to watch some companies struggle a little bit. So be the one that's going to crush it through the remainder of 2022 and get yourself set up for 2023. Just do it. Words of wisdom. Thank you, Tom Daly, for your time today and for generously sharing your brilliance. Uh, for those of you who are in the Sales Pro Network and are in the United States, please have a wonderful and safe holiday weekend. It's the 4th of July on Monday, and I'll end as I always do. Please remember that sales is a game of making things happen, so get out there. Make sales happen. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.